This is the Coming Home Podcast with John Allen. And welcome everybody to this episode of Coming Home with John Allen. I am your host, John Allen. Uh, Very briefly, I want to say thank you all for your support. Remember, look in the description of this episode and you'll see several links where you can click in if you'd like to support the work that I do. Uh, Today's guest is Sandra Gartner. Uh, She is, let's call her an international educator. I love that title, international educator. She's also the author of Back from Abroad, a handbook for homecoming. Uh, You're also the founder of um, the organization Never Stop Learning. I want to make sure I get that in there as well. (laughs) We're going to talk about all those things, but uh, welcome and thank you for being here, Sandra. Thanks, John. It's great to be here. Yeah. How's everything going for you? It's going well. It's going really well. You know, I I see you and, and it's the same thing that happens whenever I speak to an American who is back in the United States. I get this this um, this creeping sense of homesickness that comes on gradually during the conversation, and then by the time the conversation or the podcast episode is over, I am deeply, deeply into homesick modus. Oh, for you as an American in Norway, speaking yes. to someone who is back home, you're the one who's getting. Yes. Oh, okay, because we're bringing America to you in our conversation. Yeah, yeah. You know, this, and that's exactly what my book is about. It's, it's that, you know, when you live in another country for six months or longer, you now don't have one home, you have two homes. You now don't have one nationality, you have two nationalities. You know, yeah. you're bicultural. We're bicultural, yeah. we're bilingual. Um, and there's a beautiful quote that I just saw the other day that said something like, you can never go home, you will never be truly home again because your heart will exist in more than one place around the world. Ah, And that's, that's the a, price that we pay. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and that's a beautiful sentiment, but it's also a little bit sad. In other words, when I, when I think of people like myself who, who have homesickness, you know, we miss everything about uh, uh, being back home. Maybe we're missing something that doesn't exist anymore because our heart remembers what it remembers. But that thing that we remembered or that place or those people who we remembered there's progression there. So we're missing something that doesn't exist anymore. Absence makes the heart grow fonder without a doubt. That's what they say. And I think I believe it. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's true. I mean, it's human nature. Like the grass is always greener. And when you know and have a relationship with a culture in a country or even with people, then your absence from them, you're always going to be thinking about them. Like I remember when I lived in Norway, spent what three years in Norway and I just the first you know there's all the there's the four stages of of adjustment of cross-cultural adjustment but I just remember at every stage you're always thinking what are they doing today at home what am Uh, I missing at home today and um and it's funny because then when you are actually when you go home after your adventure after your journey after whatever was going on in, in your in your host country when you return home for good to stay you think to yourself, this, this wasn't freeze frame at home. Like kids grew up, yeah. people got together, got, got broken up and, you know, people got sick, people got healthy. And, um, and you're like, Oh, like even now I've been home for what, over 10 years now. And somebody said to me, um, you know, we're planning, I'm planning baby showers for all my girlfriends. And they're like, well, well, we had, we had Monica's baby shower at that place. And I said, 
oh, that must have been while I was away. And it's like, <laughs> there's ever, all these events that took place with my friends and family. And it's like, oh, I was, I was over here in this country when that happened. I was in this, that country when that happened. Yeah. So it was, yeah. it was part of the absence, you know? Well, you know, we have this thing called homesickness, but what do we call that thing that we miss when we move from our temporary home overseas and back home? Because you really touch on that in your book. You know, I think that we just, instead of home, we say the name of the country. Like I'll say, oh man, I really miss Norway right now. Um, or I really miss France right now. Or even when I lived in, I lived in New York for two years and it's only about an hour train ride from uh, less than an hour, like about an hour and a half from where I was living, um, right outside of Philly to New York, but boy, is it a different culture in New York. Yeah. Yeah. So I even have moments where I'm like, God, I miss New York right now. Well, you know, we get used to these things that we get used to and it's very location dependent and the distance between these locations doesn't have to be all that great. You know, you talk about an hour's distance from, uh, uh, the Philly area and into the city in New York. But, um, you know, if I look at my, 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 uh, my, my childhood in Ohio, for example, uh, in a suburb, a rural suburb of Akron and Akron is, you know, less than a half hour away, but there's a monstrous difference in life in the way I remember those places, the feelings that those places give me. So it's location dependent, but the location doesn't have to be so great. But then when you add in uh, other nuances like language and culture on a broader scale, uh, does that mean then that those nuances will have an even greater effect on a person that has moved uh, between these two, uh, these two different cultures or these two different locations? Yeah, so language is very much a part of identity. And there are ever. things, there are things that you will never be able to experience unless you are proficient in another language. Um, there are certain things that can't be translated, certain nuances, certain cultural connections and connotations. And um, you really have to live in the language, in, in the culture of the language. And I think about it, John, when, when you're growing up, no matter where you grow up, when you're a kid, and you have like these best friends when you're like seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, whatever, thirteen. You create your own language, right? Oh yeah. You have things that you say with that friend. I could call my childhood best friend up right now, and I could be like, "Ah, on the basketball court." That's a code for something that nobody else knows, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. And so language is always evolving, and it's very cultural. And um, it's shared. It's it's a communal thing, whether it's your best friend or it's an entire nation. Um, and so, no, it is. It's very much a part of identity and part of who we are. Like you, you were never the same after you became started to learn Norwegian. You you expanded your identity, right? You can't go back and 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 shrink it now. Well, you know, and I think you're right. But for me, the language thing is very. Um... I think I've managed to compartmentalize it because when I'm at home and, you know, regardless of who's here, uh, I speak English. Even if Norwegian friends come to, to visit, I speak English. Uh, and that may vary a little bit depending on who the friend is, if they're not comfortable, don't quite understand everything. But definitely at home with my wife and our two kids, I speak only English. And when I'm out, 
you know, in public, among friends and whatnot, outside of my home, then I speak only Norwegian. And I feel to a certain extent, like a different person. I feel that I'm experiencing taking in life differently. And it's not just because I'm outside of my own home. I think it is because of the language. It is quite the shaper of one's experience. Language really is that. And I love how your first language of English is what you call home. Ah, yeah. that's, that's, that's so symbolic because that means that you have a place where when you're home, you're really home. Like it's an authentic sense yeah. Yeah. of the world home word home. And that means that, you know, you married the right person and you had kids with the right person because <laughs> that's home to you. Yeah. Um, well, and I tell people, I tell people that, uh, I, I speak English, you know, there's a couple of reasons why I speak only English at home. Uh, one of them is because I want my children to be able to easily communicate with anybody they want to back home, whether it's family or maybe school or business later on. Uh, so I demand that, that our two kids speak only English to me. If they try to speak Norwegian to me, I ignore them. Uh, and so, so there's that, but there's also that thing with identity. I don't feel like I can relax, breathe out and truly be myself if I'm communicating in Norwegian. I just, it just doesn't fit. So home, home is very much the English language. That is a, definitely uh, a part of home. Definitely. I remember having moments in Norway where I never, I didn't get to like, you know, an, an intermediate level of Norwegian because so many people spoke English. So I had like a, a pub working uh, proficiency where I could speak Norwegian <laughs> with the customers. Yeah. And I, I should share some stories about when I really messed up the language there. But, um, you know, I, I would be surrounded in Engl- uh, by Norwegian language and then someone would just quick jump into English with an American accent. Maybe they were, yeah. you know, in Oslo yeah. for whatever reason. Yeah. And then the feeling that comes over you, it's like, Oh, finally, yeah. yeah. I can talk about home. I can speak in the language of home yeah. Yeah. and, and you don't, you don't forget something like that. And it's, it's no. like, it's like very relaxing. It's like, you know, when you walk out of a, a day at the spa, it's like, you're just so relaxed and so at ease and so at ease just hearing, just hearing the American accent, just hearing the American language. And I'm sure that it's like that for anyone in any country who's speaking their native language. Sure. Yeah, no, it's always a good feeling when we're out and about, whether it's here uh, in Drammen or in Oslo or wherever in Norway. And if I hear someone speaking English and then especially if it's a American accent, I kind of perk up, where are they? And, 9.9 9.9 times out of 10, I will go and approach that person and ask, ah, where are you from? And, you know, and it's just that, it's just that reinforcement of identity. But isn't that a trap that we can fall into when we are an expat living overseas, that we hang on to that um, identity? There's nothing wrong with holding on to one's identity, but if it comes at the expense of success in your new host country, that's when it becomes a problem. And there are people who suffer from that, from that dynamic. So to, to speak on that point, there is a hybrid of identity that takes place. So if someone is moving to another country for a, a week or a month or a few months, there's not going to be much identity change. No, but it's the, a long vacation. 
That's that's right. And they might think that they experienced culture shock because they might have gotten frustrated <laughs> once or they had like, you know, a, a collision of language. That's not culture shock. It's no. not some moment that happens. Culture shock is four stages. And the first stage is that honeymoon stage where you're so excited to go to the another country because you've got your acceptance letter or you made the commitment that you're going to go and then you start planning. And then you get there and the reality sets in that you don't know the language and you don't know how to get to the post office. You don't know how to do the most simplest of tasks that yeah. you wouldn't do. You wouldn't have to think about doing at home. Right. So this is when the crisis stage would step in where uh, sets in where your, your fight or flight comes in. You're like, look, I either have to stay in this country and figure out how to get around, figure out the cultural norms, figure out why people aren't holding the door for me when I'm right behind them <laughs> walking into a door, figure out why people aren't saying God bless you to me, you know, like, um, so I have to stay and I have to work on, you know, I have to, I have to make this commitment to like fight my way through the culture. And that's, that's really what you're doing um, in, in what would be the crisis stage. And then if you really, if you really don't, if you don't turn around and go home and you really do stay and, and fight through that stage of not, not knowing. And it's really, you're learning everything again. And it's, I remember feeling like very judgmental on myself because I felt like, am I a child? I'm in, I'm a grown adult. And I can't order what I want to order because of the language difference. And it can be quite so, disarming. It can be very disarming for an otherwise independent, strong-willed adult to be in a situation that's like right. that. So when you decide to stay and you don't, you know, a lot of people, when they get to that crisis stage, they're like, I'm just going to leave. This was a bad choice. This wasn't for me. I miss <laughs> home. I don't know myself in this yeah. weird country. Yeah. And that's really the key is that you have to decide that you're going to get to know a new self of your own self, because yeah. you have to be able to what's called negotiation of values is what sets in where you're going to say, okay, they do things differently here, but I will be open and I will be willing to try because you don't want to be alone. You want to have a community. You want to be with other people. So in order to do that, you might not be saying God bless you all the time. You might not hold it. <laughs> and that's just yeah. really an example, but, there's a lot of things that if you're sitting as an American, when I sit down with a Norwe Norwegian family at like a holiday or whatever, and I'm like, oh, wow, that's so different. Like, so, but you don't want to be the outsider. So you try to fit in, you try to blend in. And in the end, John, before you go back to your home country, right? Like, let's say whatever the, the, the post was for you, whatever the situation was, if you were studying or if you were there on business, when you're about to come home, you think it's going to be easy to come home because it's home. Yeah. But when you get home, you realize that you're totally changed and yeah. you can't. And then that's when reverse culture shock sets in. Like you can't get the same bread that you're used to eating every day. You can't, um, you're not going to see the same people that you usually see every day. And so that's when reverse culture shock sets in. But the point I was making with what you said is that it was that blending of identities. Now it's a hybrid. Yes. You're a hybrid, you're yeah. American and you're Norwegian because, or you're American and French or whatever the host country was that you lived in. And it's, and it doesn't even have to be another country. Like you could yeah. go to another part of the United States for exactly. school or for work and you could change and grow in so many ways. And you're, you know, tell me about it. And you're just talking yeah. differently yeah. and no matter yeah. where it is, you know, or, yeah. or you're down South and, and then you come <laughs> back home and that's when you realize that you have changed. You have yeah, seen more, yeah. you've experienced more, you've grown as a human being. It's been this deep sense of growth and development. And you've had to know who you're, you had to be able to rely on yourself. 
yeah, in ways yeah. that other people that other people won't experience if they don't ever leave their hometown. And and the studies show that when people come back from studying abroad, they are far more independent. They are they take initiative. They speak up for themselves more because it's transformational what happens. Sure. When you're you know trying to make it in another country. Let, let me ask you this. Um, now, now you, you started talking about the different stages. There's four stages um, of adapting to, to a culture change. Uh, the first stage is uh, when you realize, is, is, is it, it, I'm sure there's a word or a phrase for it, but that's basically when you just realize that, okay, things are going to be different, right? Honeymoon stage. Yeah. You get that acceptance letter, you decide to go and it's, it's euphoric. You're like, yeah. wow, I made it. I got accepted to that foreign university or <laughs> my, my boyfriend or girl, my partner said that they want me to move there and I'm going to move or my business is really sending me there. My company is really sending me there. That's the honeymoon stage. It's, it's nothing but excitement and planning and euphoric. So what comes after that then? What would stage two be? So let's say you packed your suitcase, you've arranged your life at home to not be there for you to, to be absent for your absence. You get to the new country and you're still in the honeymoon stage because now everything looks so different and everything yeah. sounds the language. The kids are so cute. They're speaking this new language. Look, there's little four-year-olds, five-year-olds speaking, you know, Norwegian or French or whatever it is. And it's euphoric. The buildings are different. The food is different. It is so exciting. It's like this, um, you know, it's very, very sensational and yeah. everything is exotic. And, and so this is the, this is the honeymoon phase. This is, but it can't last because you're not right. there on vacation. If you're there on vacation, it doesn't matter. You don't get past the honeymoon phase, but. No, I would, th I was going to say, I would think that some people, um, no matter how detailed people plan making a move and let's say from the U S to Norway, no matter how detailed you plan it, you're going to be in the middle of that honeymoon phase when all of a sudden the rather harsh reality hits you that these differences while exciting, these differences that you're experiencing also uh, incorporate challenge and you may or may not be ready for that. You can't predict what that's going to be when you're moving from one country to a, to another. You see what so I'm John, saying? Oh, absolutely. And you're hitting on something that's in the research of cross-cultural adaptation, which is that the, the harder, the more different, the greater the difference in home and host country are, um, the greater the challenge will be. Yeah. However, however different they are, it's going to be so much harder to adapt. Um, and we're talking like, like for me in, in Norway, it was challenging, but it wasn't as challenging as when I went say to France, or if I would have gone to some part of Asia where in Oslo, yeah. everybody's speaking English. Right. Right. You know, so I don't have a lot of the challenges that people will have when they go to somewhere where they know, absolutely do not know the language. Yeah. Um, big difference, big difference. And also, so I'm speaking, I went through the stages of culture shock more than once, more than different in more than different one country, but as someone who has never been to that country, right? Yeah. Your kids are not going to have that experience. Your kids, for instance, you're the Norwe you're the American dad with the Norwegian mom growing up in Norway, but if you bring your kids to America every summer, 
or yeah. you know, when you grow up going, that's different. Uh, you don't go yeah. through the same type of uh, stages of culture shock. If you're, if you already have um, a community built in that culture yes. and in that country yeah. and you've been there, then, then that's yeah. different. Also the military is, is very different or, um, or missionary groups like church groups that might go to another country because they're within their own community there. You know, like if you're in the military, yeah, you live all around the world, maybe for six months or longer, but yeah, you live by the yeah. military ways like that. It's the military environment that you're in. You're not. Yeah. I, and I think about that all the time. I was in the U.S. Marines for four years and most of that time was spent in Asia, ok- Okinawa, Japan. And uh, karate kid, know, what? Sorry. <laughs> you know, but but even even though the the culture shock aspect of it was was dampened somewhat because of the American military presence there, it was still um, uh, the experience of being uprooted, uh, the unpredictability of things and so on and so forth. And I think that that experience, those entire four years in the U.S. Marines, really prepared me to be able to handle, I I think it put me at an advantage when I went into this thing with moving to Norway with my, with my Norwegian wife, it really, really softened it. It was a precursor to that helpless feeling of being uprooted and replanted in an unfamiliar place. I figured I, I made it back then I can make it now, you know? Yeah. But I think of people who haven't experienced that people who just sometimes rather suddenly find themselves on, on a move to, you know, I I know several Americans in Norway who it kind of just happened and they're left standing almost literally in the airport, kind of looking around like, okay, what now? You know, and that's rough. And some people do well with it in the end. Some people struggle for a long, some people have been here 20 years and they're still struggling. Absolutely. So you touch on something, which is, um, one of the studies I read showed that when you could have, you could have five American college students who are going to go spend a year in Italy or France, Australia, wherever they're going in those five American students, one of them grew up traveling to other countries with their family every summer. So they know what it's like to go to a new country and experience a new language, even if it wasn't for a very long time, you know, a week or month, they, they know what it's like to get their feet on foreign, on foreign soil. Um, Another one is very much uh, involved, grew up in the community of his church or her church and never expanded anything. And let's say this, the college that they go to is even like, you know, a church based uh, faith based college when they go out on their own and they're not away from their church anymore, they're going to have another factor compounding their experience of adapting to another country because now it's not only not American, but it's not that Christian or whatever the, the faith base is, whatever the faith is. So whatever the amount of changes, however great the changes, that's going to determine the amount of um, adjustment that they're going to have to go through. I was going to say trauma that they have to go through because it is a traumatic, I think we can categorize these changes and what it does to us as a type of trauma. That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. So, and you know, and it also depends on the person's experience. I mean, are you going to the new country when, you know, 
I didn't, I didn't have to worry about terrorism when I went to France. If I was going to France today, I'd be worried. Look at all the terrorist events that have happened in, in the past 10 years. Um, so what's, what's going on in the world, you know, matters. Um, who do you meet when you get there? Um, yeah, that's you know, important. Or, you know, and how long does it take you to meet them? How long does it take you? Absolutely. Absolutely. How about, um, uh, one, one young man that I sat down with, I guess he was like 25, 26. And he was from the Philly area and he moved to France. And he says, you know, I always, I come from a family where I wasn't allowed to be homosexual. I just wasn't, that wasn't an option. Like, and it was very clear that I wouldn't be accepted. Moved to France, openly gay, no problem. Whole different, whole different acceptance level. So um, now, you know, in a situation like that, it's like, well, you're home in America, but you can be your, you know, your sexual identity is freeing in France. So, um, well, isn't that something, isn't that something that you could actually find, you know, America land of the free. And yet many people, and in some ways myself, many people find a new openness, a new freedom, uh, more opportunity when they plant themselves in a new country. Isn't that an interesting thing? Possibly so, an eye opener, possibly an eye opener for some Americans back home. That's right. Um, and there is something very empowering and freeing about going yes. to a new country. Uh, no matter what your situation is at home, no matter who you are at home, it's like, it's almost like you can start over. It's a clean slate. You don't have any history there. So there's nothing left to do but create. And, yeah, yeah. you know, in America, in your home country, you were, you grow up there. So you go through all these different infancy, childhood, you know, adolescence. And a lot of your life is other people influencing what you do. When you're an adult and you get to this foreign land, you're like, woohoo, freedom, baby. And no one's telling me what to do. No one's going to criticize. They don't even know what I'm doing. You know, they can't (laughs) see me. They don't know what I'm doing here. Well, well, isn't it an opportunity to, in many ways, rewrite your your personality, your focus, your ambitions, uh, your very being. It's a new start. It can be. If, if, you know, if you're here on business and you know it's only going to be six months and you're going back, you may not think of these things. But if you know it's going to be on a somewhat permanent basis, it can be quite the, quite the rush to, to know, to realize, or to find out that you can actually change a lot of your things the things about yourself that you may not be happy with now is a chance to start because nobody knows you. This so is John, your that, chance to, that's yeah. right. That's absolutely right. But, but, <laughs> but can you, and I could ask you this because you're doing it. Can you feel true? Can you feel truly home? Can you feel like, do you feel like there's a part of you missing? You set your life up in Norway. You have your kids there. Like for me, I think, I come from a family of seven and we're very close. Like, yeah. like even when we do things that are really messed up at, like we just make fun of each other for it and we still accept each other for it. Like, yeah. Yeah. So for me, like I remember once upon a time I used to think I'm going to stay in Norway. I, I was applying for jobs in Norway after I graduated with my thesis uh, at the university of Oslo. And I thought, you know, why would I not stay here? This is the best economy in the world and great quality of life. And there was this little part of me that always said, you know, can you really stay away from your family for that long, Sandra? Yeah. And mom got sick with breast cancer. And that was what 
when I decided, and I thought Norway is always going to be here. Let me go home and, and spend time with mom and get to know mom. Cause that's a whole story in itself. But the point I'm making is it is freeing and it is a clean slate. It's a do-over when you get to an, yeah. it's a do-over. It's, it it's a do-over when sure. you get to a new country because sure. you're starting and you have a certain power that you had that you didn't have or advantage that you didn't have at home, which is that you're an adult there. You're not going through adolescence there. You don't already have your community. You get to pick and choose yes. your community when you get to the yeah. new country. So I don't know. Do you feel like, do you feel like home is, do you miss home, John? Like, you know, that, that's a good question. And, and it's, it's, uh, uh, it's a conversation that I love to have. Now I, have been here in Norway for 20 years and it doesn't feel like home. Uh, but that doesn't mean that I'm not happy here because I am. Uh, I have an amazing life. Good Lord. Do I have an amazing life? I've been incredibly fortunate. I know, uh, I know some really, really cool people. Um, and I have some, I have a, a small handful of really close friends, but I don't feel like this is home. Um, I kind of touched on it earlier a few minutes ago, but, but I personally am, I think I asked the question in a rhetorical way, but I personally am very, very aware uh, of the fact that I miss something that doesn't exist anymore. Uh, you know, I don't go home that often uh, back to Ohio, but when I do, and it's always several years in between and I see the changes. Um, um, so I know I know I'm missing something that doesn't exist anymore. But my my uprooting from my uh, immediate family, <clears throat> from my hometown, that happened you know years ago before I went into the Marines. Actually, so I haven't really been, and I put it in air quotes for those who are just listening and not watching. But I haven't been home in thirty years. <laughs> so taking it, you know, a few thousand miles further and landing in Norway 20 years ago wasn't that big of a step for me when it comes to, you know, family relations and 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 that sense of being uprooted because I had already been going through that, you know, at that time for 8, 10, 12 years. So it was nothing new. I'm different. I'm a little bit different. Everybody's different. That, well, yeah, you know, and part All of that people because, are different people. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and part of that is, you know, I, I went away to a uh, university that was not in my hometown. And then right from there, I went into the Marines and was gone overseas for all that time. And when I was finished with the Marines, I, I settled in a state outside of my home state. And then from there, I settled, resettled in a new state, still not my home state. And from there, I came to Norway. So I've been gone from all that familiarity of my hometown and my immediate family for, for decades, literally. So I'm, I'm a little bit different. Uh, but having, comes, having this, sh having, no, I'm sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. It comes out in your writing too. Like, I think it was chapter three of your book when you talk about Ohio. Is it Ohio that, where you went to? Oh, that's right. I don't specifically say that in the book, but yeah, I'm, I'm talking about Ohio. Yeah. Oh, I know it because I know you and I know where you were. So, okay. I'm yeah. putting my knowledge together, but here's the thing. Like, I think that wherever you grow up, wherever you go through those stages of childhood experiences with childhood, you know, you see what the adults are doing and 
you know, you try things like you get on your, you get on your, tri- your, your big wheel and you crash it in like <laughs> wherever your childhood is, you know, God bless us for having a good childhood and we were safe and we weren't in some war zone country, yeah. but like, that's a special, that holds a special place in our heart. And, sure. and we can't, we can't go back there and see us growing up there, but in our minds, we can see us growing up there. Yeah. And yeah. so, no, I think that, um, I have a question for you though. Like, do you, cause all right, I'm asking this because I want to know if it's the same as me. Yeah. Do you feel like before you die, you want to be able to go back and revisit all the places that you've lived or certain places where you, where you've lived your life. I have you ever thought like, is that something that's important to you? It's not important, but when you mention it, it would be something that would be fun to do. Um, you know, revisiting my, my hometown, uh, that's easy to do because I'm going, I go back there, you know, or, or, well, just one town over is where my mother and sister live. So I visit them, you know, when I go home now. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other Wait, you just said you haven't been home in 30 years, right? No, I'm, no, I'm saying I have, I haven't lived at home in 30 okay. years. Okay. But you go back um, to visit. The, the last time I was home was in 2019. Before that was 2015. Before that, 2008. And before that was when I left uh, I left Chicago in 2002. So when I was living in Chicago, yeah, you know, once or twice a year, we would drive over and visit Ma and all that stuff, but I haven't lived there. I've been pretty much uprooted from there since I was 18. Yeah. And I haven't really gone back to live. I've always lived other places out of state since then. Sure. So, um, but, and, and I want to say thank you for uh, bringing up my book and, and everyone listening and watching, I didn't pay her to plug my book, but, uh, <laughs> uh, you, if you go into the uh, description of this episode, you can see a link where you can click in if you would like to subscribe to my once a week chapter reading. I'm, I'm reading every chapter from my book as I write it unedited. I write it, get on this microphone, read it in and put it out there for people who want to subscribe. It's only five bucks a month. So, yeah, it's worth it. It's def- it's well so, worth it. Thank you. Thank you it for is. bringing that up. It's, well, it's, I like to listen to it. Like when I go for a walk and I'm like, I get away from my family for a little uh, bit. Yeah. I'll, yeah. Cause I listen to it on my phone. I'll hit play. And, um, you're just a natural storyteller. So it's like, oh, a, thank it's, you. it's a nice little escapism. Like, you know, it takes me to wherever you're at in that chapter. And, um, <laughs> Yeah, it's, uh, well, it's worth you. it, everybody. I'm certain, it's worth it. I'm, I'm certainly enjoying the writing process. If nobody listens to it, it's still fun for me. But, uh, of course, I want everybody to – I want millions of people to go and listen to it. Yeah, of course. Um, let, let me ask you this, Sandra. Now, this is this is your specialty. This is your education. You know uh, these things about uh, the effects of <clears throat> uh, not just moving from – uh, uh, your, your own country and to another, but you also have studied and you're familiar with the effects of moving from that country and back home. Now that is an aspect of that whole homesickness, that whole, uh, expat thing that people normally don't even think about. I think that's a very interesting field of study to look into that. What, what, what attracted you to that? What was interesting about that dynamic of moving from, a host country and back home. What, what grabbed going, you going through it myself and not understanding it, seeing other people go through it and identifying something there. Um, 
when I lived in New York, I, t I worked at a um, language school for international students, mostly from like Asia, some parts of Africa, some parts of Europe. But I realized that there is something happening in the mind emotionally, you know, mm. psychologically when they're getting ready to go home and then when they get home. And, uh. um, you know, there are support groups for people who are going through divorce or who lost a loved one. Um, you know, when, when someone starts a new school, everybody supports that person, but coming home from another country that repatch, like, um, uh, uh, repatriation, yeah, um, yeah. it's a very unusual, um, and under-researched experience. And it's starting to gain traction. Now, uh, there's some military wives who started to talk about reverse culture shock. Um, uh. and so it is starting to, uh, you know, catch more, like more awareness is catching on, but, um, it, it can be a very fragile, it is a very fragile time in someone's life because however much you changed while you were in the host country, it that much is going to be that much greater to adapt back to your home country. Yeah. Like think yeah. about the young man who I sat down with, who was allowed to be gay in France, but when he comes back home, here he is used to living his life authentically. And when he comes yeah. home, you know, they don't know who he is and this is supposed right. to be my family. So, yeah. you know, there's almost like a guilt that can come into it when you come back home. <clears throat> there's a few things. One, one of the things that happened that psychologists have identified, have, have um, pinpointed is called over identification. Think about over -identification. that. Over-identification. Think about that first morning that you wake up at home, right? Your, your flight came in on a Friday night and, you know, you get from the airport, you get home, you go to bed and Saturday morning you wake up and you're not in Norway anymore. You know, you're not in your, in your right. host country anymore. Right. Your mom or your, you know, your mom brings you whatever you, whatever you're, you're used to eating at home for breakfast. And you look at it and you're like, oh, damn, I don't need that no more for breakfast. <laughs> or, um, uh, uh you go to eat lunch and your bag, your bread is in a plastic bag and it lasts for three weeks because yeah. of all the preservatives in it. And you're like, I, I can't eat that bread. Like, give me a fresh loaf from the store. And I'm going to, you know, even 7-Eleven yeah. sells fresh loaves of bread in yeah. Norway. <laughs> um, you know, or you turn on the radio or, and, you, and you hear pharmaceutical advertisements for drugs. And at the that, end of the advertisement, it says, this can cause death. Do not do that. And this will... And you're like, why, why are they trying to sell me pharmaceutical? Like, yeah, or they're advertising yeah. for beer, you know, in Norway, you can't advertise po political ads. Oh my God. Don't Same get me started thing. on the political ads. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. And so like, you look at it and you're like, this is all different. So you're identifying these things that your people at home are not sitting there saying, how come I have this? Or how come I, you know, why is the bread like this? But you yeah. in your mind, yes. imagine spending every second of your brain power to identify the difference between the home country and the host country that you just came from. Well, well, it can be quite the complex situation. I would think, uh, you know, just as you started naming these different things, think about it. It could be a constant struggle to reassimilate, uh, re your, <clears throat> your thought process. If, Every time you turn on the radio, it's political ads and, and medication ads. And then you try to watch TV and then it's these rapid fire commercials where it, as in Norway, it's slower and more laid back with a lot of humor. And so I would think the media experience alone 
is so different that that could be a stress factor for someone who comes back home after a, after a significant uh, amount of time overseas. Um, the Food and Drug Association, the media, the um, healthcare yeah. industry, yeah. all of these things so different. are so different. Like, I re- like now I'm used to being in America after what, like over 10 years now. And so I'm, I'm used to the whole health insurance thing again. But like, if yeah, I call yeah. one of my best friends from Norway and I tell her like, Oh, you know, uh, I got, I'm interviewing for two jobs and one of them has great health insurance. She's like, what? What? Like, what? Why is <laughs> yeah, that a thing? Yeah. Like you're a human yeah. being people, sh- you should be able to yeah. be taken care of, but here it's like something that you have to earn the right to be taken care of. Well, that's one thing that I do think about. You know, I don't have any immediate plans of moving my family uh, to, to the United States. But if we did, and when I do think of that from time to time, my wife and I will have a dis- discussion about, you know, whatever. And that might come up. You know, what would it be like if we moved back to the States? And I think the number one concern that I have is the healthcare situation. Because here in Norway, it just isn't an issue. You just don't have to. You, don't have to think about it. It is not a stress factor. You're not going to go bankrupt because of it. Uh, you're going to, you're not going to die for lack of care, you know, uh, and, and to have to worry about those things, which are quite significant, uh, is mind blowing to me. And I am an American, but I don't understand how Americans can handle having that as a major concern in their life. And if you don't have it as a concern, then I'm still wondering why don't you have that as a concern? We're talking about your health and your life. And it just, it just blows my mind that that has to be such an issue. So it's, it's, it's that and things like that, that make the idea of moving back home, regardless of how much I'm homesick, regardless of any opportunities I see, it, it gets in the way of that. When I think of those kind of things. I know. I know. Um, so that is a part of reverse culture shock because Let's yeah. say you come home and this is your new perspective about health insurance and healthcare. Oh God, I think now, I'd be pretty unhappy. <laughs> now you could also feel a little bit guilty because yes. everybody around you doesn't understand why you would think that way. Like that's not, that's very un-American. I do feel guilty about it. And I know that some people who watch and listen to my show, because I talk about this stuff from time to time, yeah. I know they're thinking, oh, well, he's not a patriot. Who does he think he is? That's right. You know, because I openly will, will, will criticize or I'll talk about yep. the differences. That's right. Um, that's a but heavy load to bear as a person who at one point comes home after being overseas. Yeah. That would weigh heavy on one's mind, I would think. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Betrayal. So, so that's right. You feel that. And that's actually part of one of the chapters in my book is when you feel like you're betraying your own nationality, your own home mm-hmm. country because you have taken on and embraced all of these new ideas, ideologies, Um, the food and drug association. So I'll never forget. This is only about 10 years ago. Every once in a while, I would enjoy a Coca-Cola when I lived in Norway. And um, whether it was like, you know, they still have those bottle caps that you like have to pop off or at McDonald's, you can go and get like a fountain soda. Well, I came home. It's probably like my third day back in the U S and I went to go, I went to the drive-thru at McDonald's to get my soda and I took a sip and I spit it out. And I was like, (laughs) what is the amount of high fructose corn syrup that you are allowed to have here? Meanwhile, here in the U S there is, you know, there's this diabetes pandemic 
and everybody and the you know school lunches are suffering from not being healthy. They're counting ketchup as a vegetable in school districts um, for school lunches. So we have all of these um, issues that are social issues. Um, but like when you when you come back from abroad, you're more aware of all sorts of civic engagement. Uh, yeah. components, um, yeah. you know, the importance of voting or the importance of the food and drug administration or like wh- what you're allowed to advertise on TV. Yeah. And so living in other countries really does make you more aware of your own country. <clears throat> uh, one of the, research, Absolutely. one of the research questions that I had as my focus for the research in my book is, um, what did you learn about America while living in a new country? <clears throat> and that's always that's one a- of, that's always one of my favorite things to hear because it's like, I think I was selfish in asking it. Cause I kind of wanted to validate my own feelings that I wasn't betraying my own country. If you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like so I'm like, okay, you too. You also, you also saw, <clears throat> you know, what could be changed there. Okay. <clears throat> well, for me, there is that sense of, um, you know, at the same time as I speak freely and I say what I mean and I share my observations, uh, you know, with no editing, uh, no censorship. Uh, I do have that thing in the back of my mind where I wonder, okay, well, what are the people back home going to think of what I say in my, what I see as justified criticism of certain processes, certain laws and social, the social structure back home in the, in the United States. Um, but my observations are what they are. And I think my observations, well, I know my observations come from, uh, the benefit of a broader perspective because I don't live there. You see things a lot more clearly sometimes when you're not right in the middle of it. So I see the faults of America, but I also see the beauty of America. I see both things better now that I'm here. I, and, and I say to people, I've never felt more American. Uh, I, I feel more American now that I don't live there. I'm more aware of my Americanness since I haven't lived there. I'm also in many, many ways, much more aware of my blackness as a black American since I've moved out of the United States. And both of those situations have to do with perspective. Um, I wish more Americans spent more time overseas for them to go back home and put what they've seen and learned into action to make things even better back home rather than have that, you know, what everyone calls the ugly American, that, that attitude where uh, America is the best period. I say America is the best. However, you know, and then a discussion comes where I can share my observations, where it might change some minds, where if more people had a comma, however, America would be a better place. And I don't think you're going to have that, however, unless you have perspective. And that perspective comes from actually spending time overseas. It's like this, John. I'm going to sum up what you're saying, what I think you're saying. So, you know, when you're a child, you're born into the family that you're born into. And you grow up eating dinner the way that your family eats dinner, the way you're, you're, you know, whether your family is mom and dad or whatever your family is. And then you get ready for school the way your family gets you ready for school. And then at one point you're invited to go to another family's house down the street, around the corner, whatever it is. 
and you see that that family does dinner completely differently from how you do dinner. Like I remember, yeah. I remember being invited to a family's uh, friend's house and I came home and I said, dad, they said that they were having cheeseburgers, but they didn't make like the burger patty and put it on a roll. It was like all <laughs> broken up and they ate it with a fork, like with no bread. And you know, my, well, sandwich. well <laughs> there we go. Yeah. Well, Sandra, everybody does things differently. And so <laughs> there comes a point, the further you will go away. So let's say you go off to college for that first semester. Yeah. That first year you come home and you might see your own family a little bit more clearly now, the good and the bad and the, and the indifferent, like, you know, and everything in between, because you've gotten that distance from them. And there's something to be said for that distance, because it's like the, the movie Frozen where she's like a little bit of distance makes everything <laughs> so fine or so clear. <clears throat> and it does like you can really see things for what they are when sure. you're far away sure. from them and you have time to reflect on them without anything interrupting your reflection or persuading your, yeah. your judgment. <clears throat> yeah. And so that's what we do when we grow up and we leave America and we go to these other families or countries, you know, who do things differently. Yeah. And the rules are like, like I couldn't believe a merit, like the, the role of women in Norway compared to the role uh, of women in society yeah. in America. Oh my God. Mm. Like what a difference. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, um, perspective is, it's quite the, the growth agent. Uh, I think I'm a much better person. I'm a better husband, father, better person, period, because I have this new view because I've moved here because I went through the things that I've gone through since I've been here. You know, it's all added to this character who calls himself John Allen. And, and again, I don't, and I don't, that doesn't mean that I'm better or worse than anybody, but I'm better than who I used to be, that I can say. And I can't help but feel that a lot of Americans would have a similar experience if they spent more time overseas. Do you feel like you have changed in important ways because of your time living in France and Norway? Oh, yeah, without a doubt. Um, yeah. There's, I mean, let's face it, we're all going to change, right? Because as time goes yeah. by, you change either yeah. for the better or for the worse. Time is the ultimate change factor. Yeah, it sure is. And the only thing permanent in life is change. That's the only thing we know that's guaranteed is that things are going to change. Um, yeah. And so I think that our choices, we choose the, the environment in which we want to change in. So, um, you know, if you choose to study somewhere that's far away from your home, if you choose to, you know, maybe in another state, if you choose to go to a new country, you're going to be influenced by your environment and you're going to change according to your environment. So how did I change and grow from living, let's say in Norway? Yeah. <clears throat> um, I grew academically. I think like I would yeah, listen to I NPR. Yeah. Listen, yeah. I would listen to NPR when I came home. I listened to NPR and I understand everything they're talking about, you know, but John, John, you know, I grew up in like right now I have, okay, I have a master's degree. I will soon have a principal certif certification to be a principal in a school. Um, I'm certified to teach AP French language and culture. Um, I have all of these academic credentials, right? I didn't have books in my house growing up. I was the youngest yeah. of seven kids. I did not yeah. have books. I, I no. had to repeat the first grade. Here, I'm going to be really? vulnerable. I'm going to be vulnerable yeah. and tell you everything about me, right? I had to repeat <laughs> the first grade. And yeah. I had teenage sisters who were having babies. And we were working hard to keep, you know, to take care of the babies. And, yeah. Yeah. and my sister, you know, my sister was the one who had, so it's not about where you come from. It's about where you're going. And, um, 
I think that when I went to Norway and was getting my master's in international education in Norway, I grew in ways that I never even knew existed. When I was going to Norway, I was like, I'm going to go get a, you know, when I made the decision, I'm like, I'm going to go get a master's degree. You know, I got accepted uh-huh. to this program. And then all of a sudden I had to look at the role of women in society, in all different yeah. societies around the world. And, yeah. you know, when the mothers are, that made me reflect on my own experience with my own mother, because they're like, when the mother, when mothers, when women are educated, right, women are going to become moms, then the family is stronger. The family is better provided for because they have more knowledge and competencies in all different domains of, yeah. of knowledge, whether it's reading, writing, or nursing, yeah. um, whatever it is. Yeah. So that was a deep reflection that I went through thinking about my own mom. Cause my mom, my mom was like, she had seven kids and she, I didn't get the same mom that my brothers and sisters got because I was the last one born. So, yeah. um, yeah. so my mom fought addiction her whole life. So I had, a big absence that was filled by other women temporarily throughout my upbringing, my sisters, my aunts, my coaches. Um, but so the way I grew in Norway, very different from the woman next to me who may have gone to Norway and come back home because she doesn't have the same. Yeah. We all have our own different personal factors. So, um, so yeah. So when I came back to Norway, I was far more, um, educated in an academic sense, in a society sense. Um, also because of what I studied, like we were studying, the role of education around the world. Like what does education look in developing countries? What does education look in developed countries? Um, We saw that Finland has the best education system Yeah, and they don't, they don't give homework. They don't, they have a lot more recess and a lot more outdoors time. Um, So uh, yeah. So without a doubt um, I was going to change from ages. What was I like 28 (laughs) to, to 31 even if I wasn't in Norway, um, but I happened to be there. And, you know, your environment yeah. really shapes the ways in which you grow and the things that you Oh, learn. sure. Sure. Absolutely. Well, I think you chose a rather interesting uh, field of study. Um, in practical terms, you can use that education to ed- educate others further, uh, both in a formal sense as, as a teacher, pr- uh, professor, you know, at some point. But let me ask you this. Could you see yourself doing um, a social service for, uh, you know, con- consulting uh, and advising um, American expats who are returning home, or possibly American expats who are who are already planted in a new country? For example, I know there's Americans living in Norway who are struggling. Mm-hmm. I know uh, some of them are trying hard to get back home. Mm-hmm. They may not understand how to get back home. They may not understand what's what it's going to be like when they get back. You home. don't mean physically, like they're trapped there physically. Well, some of them are trapped because of their family situation. They may have a child and the spouse uh, refuses to allow that child to go back to the United States with ah. the mother. So some of them are literally trapped here i don't know if that's the right word they're bound to norway because of their because of they're bound unwillingly because of their family situation got it you know so there's a lot of there's a lot of um you know that's not all of us some of us are doing quite well but a lot of us are not doing well could you see yourself providing some some sort of counseling oh god one-to-one counseling i would absolutely love to do that i actually um 
I connected with. It just fell into my head. I see yeah. that there's a. I see that there might be a place for that. Yeah. No, I connected with Michael um, about his support group that he was holding, and um, for Americans. Brother Michael in. Wexler, you're talking yes. about, right? Yes. I love that guy. I know. Hi, He's Michael. Amazing. I know you're listening. I, I love. Michael's we love you, listening. Michael. We love you. Woo-woo. Yes. Shout out, Michael. <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, I absolutely would be. I would. That would just. It would be a calling for me to be able to do something like that if I could get connected to people who are living um, outside of their home country and who are going through the stages of culture shock, mm-hmm. just as an outlet to talk openly yeah. in a safe place about what you're going through without any judgment. Yeah. Um, I absolutely would, would love to do something like that. Let's try and find a way to get the word out there that you're available for that. Because I think, uh, again, I think there's a lot of people who could greatly benefit from having a talk with you. Um uh, I think people who listen to this episode, uh, I know there's a bunch of Americans in Norway who are going to listen to this and they're going to get something out of this. So I'm just expanding on that. Yeah. That this could be, you know, there could be a, there could be an audience for you yeah. out there. I'm I happy think. to be available for that without a doubt. If anybody ever wants to talk about living in another country and the, yeah. the challenges that come with that emotional, physical, you social the, challenges. You Give me are, a call. Uh, Send me an email. Yeah, you are the one. You know this. This is your yeah. this is your field of study. Yeah. This is also your own personal experience. Yep, absolutely. Um, I think I really think you could be quite the educator for people, both in a formal and informal setting. My yeah. thoughts. But, uh, and you know, yeah. and I thought about John, and I think that one understanding what the stages of culture shock are will help someone going through this adjustment realize that this is actually a thing. They're not the first person yeah. who has gone through challenges, not saying that anybody has their challenge and their experience because no two yeah. challenges and experiences of moving to another country are the same, but the challenge is there. It does happen. And it was what the early 1800s, um, the sociologist Oberg Colero, he came up, he started this research. I'm not the first one to do it. It hasn't been done yeah. a lot. Um, especially yeah. coming back home, um, the reverse yeah. culture side of it. But like people have been, you know, sailing across before airplanes, you know, before it was easy to travel that way. People, yeah. Yeah. people have been sailing across and, um, yeah. you know, and, and going through these changes. So yeah. if you're listening, you're not alone. It is really you're hard. To, no matter how successful you might be at the language or at your job in another country, there's always something going on internally when you are a fish out of water, yeah. when you're in this. New- I was going to say, yeah, I was going to say money and a good job and social status and whatnot. Yeah. That can be to a certain extent, uh, a bandaid on that stuff, but you can't erase feelings. You know, if your heart is torn because of homesickness or because, you know, you, f- you have that feeling of inadequacy that a lot of a lot of expats have when, especially when they first you know, wake up after the honeymoon phase, you know, uh, no amount of money, friends, social status, job can, can replace that. And that is a sore that will just grow unless you find a way to deal with it. And that can be quite the sad observation to make where you, you, you have another expat friend who after 10, 12, 15 years, you would think they would get more accustomed. Well, they are getting more accustomed to where they live, but they're not feeling better about it. They're feeling worse about it because that sword just keeps growing. They don't have, they don't have what it takes at that moment to deal with it. And it just gets worse. It's quite, it's quite the dynamic uh, situation. And that's why I say, I think a lot of people could get a lot of help 
from talking to to someone like you about these things? There is, um, I want to say the elephant in the room, but really it's in your own little personal room that you carry with you when you're making your life in a new country. Yeah. You know, like I remember talking to this florist one time in Oslo. Um, I went in just to get some flowers for my teacher. It was like the end of this semester. And she says, excuse me, uh, are you American? I hear you speaking English in, in American. I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she, and you know, where are you from? Oh, well, where are you from? And what are you doing in Norway? And, and she says, she shared with me that she had met a Norwegian um, guy in like the Philadelphia area for some uh-huh. school conference or something. Um, and they hit it off. She looks me dead in the eyes, <laughs> Alan. And she says, don't marry, don't marry a Norwegian. And I said, oh. what? I said, what? <laughs> and she says, <clears throat> only because <clears throat> when you have kids, it is really hard to choose who you're going to spend holidays with and how you're going to, you know, you can't drive to two different houses in one day. And she's like, she's like, if you're close with your parents and he's close with his parents and you have kids, it will be a never ending struggle. And I could feel like the, um, the conflict in her and, yeah, you know, and here I am all like young and like just exploring the world and, (laughs) and who knows where the hell I'm going to end up. But I just, that just stayed with me all the time. Um, So, no, I think that, and, even, and, and you know, what if she didn't have kids? You know, what if that woman who had married yeah. the Norwegian and moved, what if she didn't have kids? Um, but those, those but those things don't have to be the big struggle that some people uh, uh, make them out to be or, or, or some people actually experience themselves because that's all about communication. Um, one advantage I had with my wife was that, uh, with my wife and our, in, in our marriage, well, I don't know if it's an advantage, but it is the way it is. We uh, got married in 2001 and we didn't have our daughter until 2005. So that was four years of us to just mm-hmm. be together, uh, uh, talk about life and what we wanted, and then start getting those things, achieving those goals together. So we, by the time we, we, we had our daughter, all of those things about, you know, what language are, they, are we going to speak in yeah. at home? You know, how often are we going to try and get back? You know, and all, all of those little things were already discussed and agreed upon with no argument. And I, I don't, I don't want to say argued about and agreed upon, but they were discussed yeah. and agreed upon effortless. And that's why communication, communication. And that's why your experience and what's right for you and your wife is different from what, from yes. what's right for this woman in the floor shop in the, in the flower shop. Yes. Yeah. And her life, you know, um, how many kids did she have? What was her life like at home before she moved? You know, all of these different factors are different. I know another couple, um, American wife, Norwegian husband, um, really cool couple. They, they have like five kids and their first daughter was born in Oslo. Uh, maybe their second child too. And then they moved to the U S they're on the West coast and they have like five kids, but he came from a family where like, his other brother married an Australian, his other brother married, I think a Canadian. So, I mean, obviously he had the coolest parents (laughs) in the world because they're just moving all around, like, you know, to go see their kids. So, I mean, every family, every single family has different values. And, you know, that's part of our own journey of living an authentic life is we have to figure out what is important to us individually. And it's not going to be the same thing. Like, so, you know, I grew up from, I grew up in a really like small 
small, smallish town, but like with a very small, close knit community. And um, my husband and I, we recently decided that we were going to move. And we didn't know where we were moving to. We were like, we were looking at Pittsburgh at one for one minute. And Pittsburgh is like six hours from where, um, where I'm from outside of Philly. And I remember it being like such a big deal, like the thought of me living like six hours away. And I'm thinking, well, you know, I could make it work. I could take the train back. We ended up moving only 30 minutes away. Right. So it's door to door to get to my dad's house, to get to my family's house, any other houses door to door. It is 30 minutes in a car if there's no traffic. Yeah. Yeah. But even still with 30 minutes, they, they say I live in New York. My dad's (laughs) like, yeah, Sandra moved to New York, (laughs) you know? Um, uh, but it's just that dynamic. So, I mean, everyone's situation is different and what's right. What's right for one person is not necessarily right for another person. But, but to smooth the humps in the different potential conflicts within a family dynamic or in a couple's dynamic, a marriage, uh, communication, goes a long way. And that communication is vital when you're in a relationship with someone from a different country and then you're going to either move to their country or move them from their country back to yours. You've got to talk. Yeah. (laughs) You have to talk. You've got to have a plan for how those, you know, where's, where are we going to have Christmas dinner? What about Thanksgiving? They don't celebrate Thanksgiving in Norway. What are we going to do about that? You know, little, little things like that. So that, that communication is is vital, but li- li- listen, Sandra. We I, I have to cut this uh, cut this off now. I've I've run out of time. Okay. But before we go, I want to ask you if you can do two things for me. Okay. Uh, I've told you this before. I forget what I've heard. Yeah. Well, yeah, the people that I invite on my show, they're people who inspire me. They motivate me. Uh, people who I think I can learn something from. You do all of those things for me. Aww. You inspire me. You motivate me. And I have already learned a lot uh, uh, from you. Um, is there something that you can say? Give me, give me a paragraph, if you would. Something you could say to uh, possibly do those things for my listeners and viewers, to motivate them, inspire them, something they can take with them and carry with them over the next couple of days and maybe make their life a little bit easier. What can you say to them? So it's going to be different from the last time I did this because something new is coming to me. Um, okay. Yeah. Find time for you to reflect a little distance makes more, makes everything seem clear. So amen. find time to get away from your everyday by yourself, not with your partner, not with your friend, not with your child. Get away for a little while. Get away for as long as you can. I if, love it's, it. if it's three hours, if it's three days, get away. And, um, love it. and get some clarity and really do some deep reflection because, um, you know, all of the, the great philosophers, the great, um, educators, they all say one thing that's in common is the unexamined life isn't worth living. Right. Mm. Um, and we have to stop. I think it was Dewey who said we have to stop and we have to reflect. So we can't yes. just, you know, we can't just make these decisions, any kind of decision, without stopping and reflecting and, and getting away for a little bit to think about how you, you really yeah. feel yeah. about your situation, whatever it may be. I love it. I, I talk about uh, the importance and the benefits of, of uh, introspection, looking inward there we go. and analyzing yourself, yourself constantly, not just from time to time, okay. but constantly. And that involves, or, or, or the result of that can be a lot of directional shifts, mm-hmm. but those directional shifts don't have to be 
that drastic as you engage in more and more introspection because you start to learn more about yourself and what you need and the effects of what you do. That's right. Uh, if you can have the so courage, kind of, if you can have the courage to yeah. be honest with yourself about who you are, what you need, what you want, where you want to go, because that's really the thing. You can spend all the time you want alone, but if you're not honestly engaging in exactly. introspection, then it's not going to do anything. Yeah. I love it. Sandra says, spend some time alone. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask you the last thing I'd like to ask of you before we want, before we wind this up. Uh, I'm going to say three words. Okay. And I want you to finish the sentence, please. One sentence. You ready? Oh, shoot. I forget what I said last time. <laughs> I don't know what it's going to be. Okay. Good. Let it be new. Let it be new. Okay. okay. Here we go. Sandra Gartner is? Ready to help people go through culture shock and to help people who are living abroad and who just want to chat about what it's like to live in another country and to be an expat. I love it. I'm ready. I'm ready to talk. I love it. Ready to talk. Let me ask you this, Sandra. How do people get a hold of you if they want to talk with you? So, um, hmm, which email should I give? Hold on a minute. I'm going to give you an email in just a minute. While Sandra's looking up her email address, remember everybody, uh, click into the description of this episode, whether you're watching on YouTube or listening on a podcast platform, there's links where you can click into, uh, help contribute to supporting the work that I do. And you'll also find my audiobook subscription. If you like my voice and you think I have a story that you might like, there it is. I'm writing a story. I'm telling a story. Click into that audiobook subscription. It's only five bucks a month. You guys have that, don't you? Okay, John. So you find that email address. Um, is it on? Do you have my book in front of you? There might be an email address. No, I don't. Huh? Actually, it is in front of me, but it's way across my console uh. and I can't reach it. <laughs> How about if they email you? How about if they get through me to you? I'll get the email address from you that afterwards. I'll plug it in. I'll plug it into the description of the episode. I should have been more and prepared. People can contact you there. But 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 listen, Sandra, I absolutely love talking with you. This is the second time we've we've talked. The first time was tons of technical difficulty. So this is the conversation that counts when it comes to other people listening. Uh I want you to know you have an open invitation on my show. If you ever have anything going on, anything you want to share, anything you want to promote, I'm the guy who will help you. Awesome. Um just know you have an open invitation. Thanks, John. Thanks for all you do. Thanks for having me on the show. Thank you. Sandra Gartner, everybody.